Well, good morning, friends. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City, and this is our last regular message in our series that we've been calling The Bride, as we've been uh, considering together uh, what is the church, both universal and also our particular expression of it here in Guelph. Um, so as I said, this is our last regular message in that series. Next week is what we're calling a Hot Seat Sunday, which is where you'll be able to send in any questions that you have about uh, church governance, why we believe what we believe, any questions you may have about the church, again, universal or church of the city, and Matt and I will do our best to answer them on the fly. I said to him this week, I was like, knowing you, you probably, in your sick and twisted mind, love that, and you're just excited about seeing questions come in and just having to think of an answer like this. I'm terrified, but hopefully we'll make a good team. Um, uh, so that's next week. Um, for questions, we'll show you how to send in questions next week, I think, right? So, um, look, bring some questions along for that. Um, but this morning, for this last uh, message, we're going to consider what is a common um, problem or something that has to be faith, faced by organizations of all types, not just churches, not just not-for-profits. Um, th- this applies to businesses. It does apply to charities, not-for-profits. It even applies to, like, affinity groups. I'm a part of the Guelph Off-Road Bicycling Association, GORBA, and this is a question that they end up asking. And, and the question or the problem is, how do we get people engaged? How do we get people engaged? Now, you might be asking, well, what do you mean by engaged? Well, that depends on what the organization or the group is, right? If it's Uh, a business, a corporation. It's, you know, how do we get people to buy our product or sign up for our service? Um, But if it's a not-for-profit, a charity, or one of these, you know, affinity groups like Gorba, the biking group I talked about, it's, you know, how do we get people to donate their money or donate their time to volunteer with us? And I'm not going to bury the lead here. Uh, I'll be honest. For us, in Church of the City right now, we have staff and elders. The consideration we're making is how do we get people to volunteer their time, to get engaged in serving in the church, um, because there are huge needs just across the board. So this is a question that we're confronting quite um, seriously right now. And there are, you know, very generally speaking, there are two ways that any group um, will often approach um, a problem like this or a question like this. Um, the two ways uh, I'm calling uh, the carrot and the stick. You may have heard this, this metaphor, right? I think it goes back to training horses or something. You know, the carrot is sort of positive motivation and the stick is sort of the negative motivation. Um, we're going to talk about w- what I mean by each of these. and We're going to spend the rest of our time considering these two main ways of attempting to motivate people which I think church leaders are at times tempted to rely on, but then we're going to consider a third way that the gospel presents, which I actually think is a better way. Um, But before we dive into all that, let's take a moment and pause, as we always do, take a few deep breaths, um, invite the Holy Spirit into however it is that you're feeling, and then we'll continue on. Jesus, we love you, but we want to love you more. We believe in you, uh, but help our unbelief. Pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, let's consider the carrot, this positive way of motivating people. Um, This, you know, generally goes something like, think of how your life will be better by buying this product or contributing to this organization or getting involved with, you know, um, 
uh, contributing your time, right? I mean, this is just commercials since the dawn of television, right, have been some version of this, but, but think also of any testimonial video maybe that you've seen for like a charitable organization, right? Usually there's a wizened volunteer on there that says, you know, I, I signed up to, to clean the park, but in the end the park cleaned me, um, or something along those lines, right? Um, the idea being like, think about how your life will be better if you get engaged with us, and, you know, leaving products and, and sort of services aside for a second, when it comes to serving in community organizations, I would say that if it's a good organization, we would agree that that's probably true, right? You do gain quite a bit by contributing. And we see, actually, this, uh, this sort of carrot way of motivating people in the scriptures. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 32. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to bounce around a little bit, and we don't have lots of time, so I'm just going to jump in. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 32. So just some context. This is Paul's final words to the uh, leaders of the church in Ephesus, okay? He knows this is likely the last time he's going to see these church leaders, and these are some of his final words to them. He says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the carry out work, right? Paul is saying, you know, quoting Jesus to show that it is actually to our benefit to give, to contribute, to be engaged in the life of the church. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Contributing to the needs of the body pays back a hundredfold what we contribute. And I think that this is true, friends, of serving in the church. Um, Very true. Um, Getting engaged in serving in a local church brings new relationships, with the people that you serve alongside. It brings a deeper connection to the life of that church, and within all of that, a greater sort of purpose um, as purpose as your part in that body, your unique contribution to it. So again, I believe that there's merit to this way of motivating people um, and within the church as well. After all, it was Jesus who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, and I'm, you know, as a pastor. I'm not too inclined to disagree with Jesus very often. Um, so let's consider option number two, the stick, okay? This can come in a variety of forms, right? This is the negative way of motivating people. It, it could look like, um, you know, commercials or appeals that ask you to consider the consequences of, of not responding or how your life will be lesser if you don't uh, do whatever it is that you're being invited into. Or sometimes, um, this, this probably is more true of, um, you know, not-for-profits or charitable organizations. There's an attempt to show you that you are actually already indebted to that organization or that group. Let me give you an example to illustrate this. Maybe you've seen um, a fundraiser um, happening uh, for a hospital or some sort of medical organization. I've seen a number of these, and the messaging was something along the lines of, 
we were there for you in your time of need. Will you be there for us in ours? You know, the, the implicit message being, hey, you fell off your bike and needed stitches, and we were there for you, and now we need some new equipment, so are you going to be there for us, right? Kind of conveying that you are indebted to that organization. And I actually think that we can see a similar or a version of this in the scriptures as well. So again, this will be on the screen. This is Romans chapter 15, I'm going to start reading at verse 25. This is Paul in his letter to the church in Rome, as he often did in his letters, explaining what his sort of future plans are. Okay, here's what he says. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it. And indeed, they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So it's hard to know how much Paul used this sort of argument with the Macedonian Christians themselves. Here he's writing to the church in Rome. But he at least in some sense recognizes that the Macedonian Christians benefited from as Matt talked about last week, the scattering of believers out from Jerusalem and their ministry, they're, they're spreading the gospel in Judea and Samaria and beyond. And that the contributions then of these churches in Macedonia and Achaia are in, at least in part a, a response to that. And again, friends, I believe that there is merit to this argument when it comes to contributing to the life of a local church. If you're a parent and you have benefited from the work of those who volunteer in city kits. I believe it, 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 uh, it is beneficial, it is a legitimate thing to say, hey, you've benefited from the work of these volunteers who serve kids so faithfully and so well. It's now time for you to contribute. The same could be said of our, our tech folks who um, are here, as I was talking about Pete, it's true of Joel, who serves almost every week. Um, these people who, you know, our facilities team, who because of their work, we are able to, to do this every week, to gather together, to worship. We have benefited from these things. Now let us contribute. And this is the closest I'm going to get to any sort of commercial for serving this morning. If, if you want to be more engaged or you're ready to take that step to get on a team and start serving, it's very easy. Just email info at churchofthecity.ca and we'll get you connected. So as I've said, I believe that there's merit to both of these sort of ways of motivating behavior and when it comes to doing so in the church, the carrot and the stick. However, neither of these can be our core motivation when it comes to serving in the life of a local church because both of them miss the gospel. And the gospel has to be the foundation. It has to be the core. Our core motivation for contributing to the needs of the church must be the gospel. And so let's consider an example where we see this taking place in the scriptures, okay? We're, I'm going to read uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And there's an interesting connection with this passage to the one that we last read, um, the letter to the Romans. Because Paul here is talking to the Corinthian church about that same contribution for the believers in Jerusalem. You see, if we put together the pieces of Paul's two letters to the church in Corinth with, you know, what he said to the church in Rome, some of the things in Acts, what we come to understand is that the relatively prosperous Corinthian church 
had heard about the need of the church in Jerusalem and had enthusiastically at some point said, we want to contribute. We want to be a part of this collection for the church in Jerusalem. And uh, had committed to do that, had promised Paul that they were going to take it up and that at some point he would be able to bring it to Jerusalem. At some point, though, the church in Corinth, their enthusiasm, likely as Paul continued on in his travels, their enthusiasm to be a part of this contribution wavered a little bit. They began to flag in their sort of initial uh, promise. Meanwhile, the much more impoverished Macedonian churches that Paul talks about when he's writing to the church in Rome, these Macedonian churches would be the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, in Berea. They likewise plead with Paul for the chance to participate, and they do generously, as we'll read in a moment. But as I said, the, Corinthians, the Corinthian church sort of stalls out in their enthusiasm. And so in this letter, the second letter to the church in Corinth, Paul attempts to sort of bolster up, to reignite their enthusiasm for this, this work, this contribution to the church in Jerusalem. So how's Paul going to do it? Is he going to use the carrot or the stick? Let's read and see. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And look at verse 9. For you know... You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So how does Paul attempt to motivate again the Corinthian believers? He does certainly reference the church in Macedonia, you know, saying, hey, some other churches are participating in this, they're going full steam, but I think that the core Uh, argument or the core sort of example that Paul uses to try and reignite the enthusiasm of the church in Corinth is just by pointing them to Jesus. Theologians do debate, you know, is Paul saying here, hey, Corinthians, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? He would probably be generous to the church in Jerusalem, guys. Or, this is the debate that theologians have, Is is he saying, be more like Jesus, or is he saying, hey, consider again the love of Christ? knowing that when the hearts of the Corinthian believers are filled again with the love of God shown to us by Jesus, then they're going to be opened up into that self-giving love for others. I mean, we know that both of these are true. We are called to imitate Christ, but I believe primarily what Paul is doing is that second uh, option, that he's inviting them to bask in the love of Jesus. Because he says that's what the Macedonians did. He says, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, to this project that we were inviting them into. First to the Lord 
and then to us. Now, if you are here, or maybe you're watching online, um, and you are exploring the Christian faith, you're a little skeptical of the whole thing, I want to be abundantly clear about what I'm saying and what I am not saying. Because you may have been hearing me thus far, and you might be thinking that I am confirming everything you ever heard or thought about religious folks, that we motivate behavior with rewards and guilt and shame, right? God will love you more if you serve kids in the kids' ministry, Um, and he'll be really frustrated and angry with you if you don't. So again, allow me to clarify. The message of the gospel, which we believe, which we stake everything on, is that through the finished work of Jesus, we receive unconditional acceptance from God. That when we put our faith in Christ, that's it. Nothing we have done, are doing, will do, will earn the love of God. It's entirely a gift of grace. And so while I said there is legitimacy to this carrot and stick way of motivating even service in the church, none of those benefits or or drawbacks or consequences relate in any way to the love of God for us. They do not move the needle of God's love for us one iota. We are loved by God, period. But as a pastor, friends, I struggle with doubts often that the gospel is enough to motivate us. You know, part of my job as a staff person in this church is to see that things get done, see that ministries have the volunteers they need to have. And often I find myself struggling with doubt. Yes, let's start with the gospel, but we also need the carrot and probably a little bit of the stick too. And so in those moments, as I did this week, I have to trust that if disciples of Jesus have Christ's spirit in them, which I believe they do, and if Christ loved the church even unto death, then Christ's spirit in us, day by day, is going to be growing our love for the church and our desire to see her every need met, our desire to see her flourish. The spirit is going to be growing and nurturing that in us. Karen Job's Um, a theologian and writer of the book Letters to the Church describes this spiritual reality taking place so beautifully. Here's what she writes. Those who come to Christ are built as living stones into God's great spiritual building, a new temple. This temple whose foundation stone was laid in Zion extends around the world and throughout time as people in every generation and of every nation come to Christ. God reclaims all the earth by building his temple globally, and his project is underway throughout all of history until the Lord returns. But then listen to her words here. This is so good. As each living stone takes its place in the living temple, he or she occupies a position that only he or she can fill. And the significance of one life takes on new meaning when viewed as part of that grand structure that will be complete and ready to be revealed only at the end of history. And so as we close this morning, rather than one final push, you know, putting up a a picture of some of the kids and city kids and saying, don't you want to go and help these cute kids? I think there's, I mean, there are some cute kids in there, my own included. Um, But rather than one sort of final, you know, punch of guilt or dangling of the carrot, 
here's how I want us to end this morning. Can you put that picture up for us, Joel? This is a painting by an Indian artist named Frank Wesley, and this is Jesus cleansing the leper. This is, uh, this is our king, friends. That's Jesus kneeling down to cleanse the leper. So, look at Jesus and listen once more to these words, and then I'll pray to close us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for our sake he became poor, so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. <laughs>